I am so excited about today's episode. On Smarter Building Materials Marketing, we talk a lot about digital tactics, trends, things that you need to be doing to stay ahead and continue to win your customer. But one thing that we overlook and we don't always think about is the importance of people in our organization. On today's episode, we bring on a manufacturer who has scaled multiple manufacturing businesses, is doing tremendously well, and he's got one core strategy, people. Invest in your people, be about your people, and you're going to win. It is an awesome reminder as we're heading into this next year of how important it is to bring the right people on board and just do the small things with them well if you want to win. There's some great nuggets of information, great strategies that are going to help you, and I'm sure you're going to be inspired. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. And now, here are your hosts, Zach Williams and Beth Popnikoloff. All right, welcome everybody to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. We have an awesome show planned for you today. We've got Hugh Hornsby, who's with Everflow Supplies. He is the turnaround and build up specialist there. Welcome to the show, Hugh. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Hugh, why don't you kick us off and just give us a little bit of an overview of Overflow Supplies and your role within the company? Yeah, so I'm pretty much a turnaround artist. So the Everflow Supplies, they came to me about a year ago and had this lofty goal that they wanted to take our company from the New Jersey, New York, Boston marketplace and take it across the U.S. It's something that I have done with a lot of different companies in different ways. Uh, This is probably a little bit bigger than what I've done in the past. And one of the things I did when I was looking at this on whether I wanted to do this or go into my consulting business that I had put together was that I really felt like this was an opportunity for an industry. Our industry is very unique. It's, It's the plumbing industry on the plumbing wholesale side. So the Ferguson Enterprises of the world are the giants within that, and there are customers. But I felt like it was an opportunity for me to give back to not only my industry, but to the millennials and people coming, and and I, I don't like the word millennial, but people coming into the industry and giving them an opportunity to participate and become a bigger part at a pretty young age We're a very aging industry. I'm probably typical of the age group that is there. Yet when people come out of college, they're not looking to go to work in the plumbing industry. They're typically looking at other industries that just are much more attractive to them. And yet what I have loved about being here and with this industry and the people within inside the industry is that it's almost like a family. So what I did. I kind of went home and I'm very faithful and I prayed on it. And I came back and sat down with the CEO and and told him that I was going to take this opportunity with him, but I would only take it if, if he gave me the opportunity to open up opportunities for people at a much younger age to come into the industry and have me help mentor them and coach them and build the business. Wow. Wow. What did he say to that? Well, I've hired 10 this year. (laughs) there's your answer (laughs) and you're probably were smart to have me you know go on to airplane mode because i'm coaching and training all of them it's a it's a huge challenge but it's very exciting was able to hire my son who's a vmi grad by the way wow 
Yes. Oh, cool. And my daughter-in-law is a VMI grad, but he ended up in Omaha with her. She's in med school there. Or actually, she just finished up in med school, and, and she's now a doctor um, doing her residency. So I hired him, and I've hired nine others like him. It's been, uh, believe me, they keep me running. It's a challenge, and it's a huge opportunity for them. Talk to me a little about your growth, though, because as we were prepping for the show, they brought you in because you've got a track record of just taking over companies and building tremendously from a growth standpoint. Can you talk to me a little about your goals and how you're aiming to see that kind of growth in the business? Yeah, I, I don't know where it all came from, to be honest with you. I just, other than at the age of 10, you know, I was diagnosed as somebody that was supposed to be in a special school, at least by one of my teachers. And so I was one of those people that always wanted to fight forward and figure out how I could prove to other people and to myself, you know, that I could really perform at a high level. But it was really unique the way that I came across this. I love building things. And so in college, I went to Radford University. I, I got there and I had gone to a junior college before I went there and I wanted to become the president of a fraternity there. And I interviewed them all. They all wanted me, but all of them said, hey, you're only going to be here two years, so there's no way that you're going to be president. So I ended up starting my own, and it was pretty exciting. And what I found there is that I was only going to be there two years. So I really had to figure out a way of surrounding myself with really great people. And in a lot of cases, I surrounded myself with people that nobody else wanted them in their fraternities, but I brought them into mine. And then I went on campus and and built this fraternity. And by the time I left, it was the largest fraternity on campus. And as proud as I am of that, what I figured out at that time was that it really wasn't about me. It was about finding them and finding out what was important to them to build the fraternity. And I took that, that plan and that's how I've, I've turned around nine companies and that's how I've built my businesses. So, and I really go back to those days and it was really fun for me to really step away from the fraternity and realize what I'd put together was pretty amazing because I had all these people doing the things they wanted to do. And I just was fortunate that somehow I figured that out. But that's how I run my businesses today. I mean, it's been different in that as you get bigger and bigger and you have more challenges, but the people I bring in and the people I hire it's all based on that. When I interview somebody, the interview, the conversation I have with them is, okay, what do you want out of your business life? And what do you want out of your personal life? Because I think your business life and your personal life are two things that are interconnected. While I think many businesses, they really don't care. You know, at the larger you get, a lot of times you get up to this point that people just don't care. They just want you to perform for them. And obviously, performance is extremely important. But me giving back to them and kind of helping them figure out their way is extremely important. And that's how I've built every business that I've had. And I, I think I'm getting better at it. And the whole idea is for me to put people in positions that they can either become the next vice president within our industry or find positions that they can go to and move forward. And I go out of my way to invest back into them to figure out those places they want to go. In return, I get so much reward out of them. 
and the loyalty that I have from them is is critical. But we don't make any of our people sign non-competes. I don't believe in those. I think if somebody wants to come to work for me and they get from me the things that I, you know, that I'm willing to give them and they make a decision they want to go someplace else, I'm good with that. You know, if they want to go to work for one of my competitors, I'm fine with that as well. So, and that's one of the things I did with this company is that they made everybody sign a non-compete and I I refuse to make any of my people do that. So, and it's important to me because I've got senior vice presidents all over our industry today that started with me. And the last thing I want to do is make somebody come and work for me and then get caught up where they can't go to where they need to be. So, I think that's an answer that probably nobody would have expected you to give to how do you grow a national company or how do you have this track record? And you basically start by investing in people that have no building materials background. Like, or there's no answer that I think could be more surprising, but your track record speaks for itself. I mean, I just think that's absolutely, that's just absolutely incredible. And on a side note, Hugh, did you know that Beth is a, a Radford alum? Did you know your really? first Radford alum. Everybody goes to tech. I'm so excited. <laughs> Welcome, Hugh. I also was only there. I only, I went to junior college before. I was there for two years for my undergrad. I did my master's there. So I was technically in the end there for four years, but they weren't consecutive. Well, and I speak so. there on a regular basis. So Do you really? Yeah. they. I think they're mad at me right now because I've been so busy. I haven't had time to go back, but they had a wisdom webinar there last year. And I, I did the first one of those and it's very similar to what we're talking about here. And then I, I'll go in and speak whenever they ask and just share with others. And I talk about the exact same things that we're talking about here. Now, I just think the one thing that I have also done is that I've mentored over 40 kids and, and I call everybody kids, by the way, because I'm up at that age now. But I went out of my way to start mentoring people. A lot of Radford students that came out where their dads would call me and say, hey, could you just help my son or daughter? And I started doing that maybe 10 years ago. And it was just me giving back and trying to get a better understanding for those kids coming out. And I love Radford students, by the way, because I think they all have a chip on their shoulder. And as I go into a lot of the board meetings, that's what we talk about. But at one point before I was turning around all these companies, I was helping people and I was placing them in companies, usually small to medium sized companies where there were entrepreneurs that they could get close to. I was helping place them in with certain people to be able to kind of move forwards within their careers. As I started building my businesses, you know, now I'm taking a lot of those people and I'm bringing them in with me. So, you know, it all kind of got started that way, Beth. So. What unforeseen challenges have you helped manufacturers overcome as they're moving from a local footprint to a national footprint? I think one of the hardest things that I've found for most people and most manufacturers is that they're very well known in those local markets that they're in. And, and it could be a two or three state market, and yet they're not known anywhere else. So you can throw some stuff in periodicals. And then most manufacturers don't really know what it is that's important to the customer base that they're going out to see. So the success we have had is because we really know who we are and we've tried to take 
I mean, my CEO started this business at the age of 18. He's 40 years old now. And he did something that was just incredibly unique. He was able, you know, if you gave us an order today, we could ship it today in that New York marketplace. And so we had to make sure going out is that, number one, we had to have a product that we could ship immediately. And today, if they give us an order, we have a a quarter million square foot facility in, in Arlington, which helps me a lot. And if we get an order today by noon, we ship it tomorrow. Now we're outpacing our competitors. And the biggest challenge I have is that people don't know who we are. And the biggest advantage I have is that my competitors don't know who we are. So. Mm. Oh, interesting. That's really interesting. I work on that heavily. I've helped the company because I've turned so many of these companies around. So when they put my name on it, it helps us get into some of the doors that we wouldn't get in otherwise. But I've tried to really back my name off of it and almost do a surprise attack, so to speak. We're big at just, I want people to wake up someday and say, where in the heck did these guys come from? Well, what are you doing specifically that people wake up one day and they say, oh my gosh, who in the world are these guys? Where'd they come from? Is it digital? Is it you just have a massive footprint from a sales standpoint, like you're improving your distribution and dealer network? What are you doing that's unique? So we do have a CRM. We require our team to make a certain amount of calls, you know, in the markets that they're in. And and we actually really work with them to call accounts that probably aren't getting the attention from our competitors. So we've got those C's and D's that we work on, and then we work on the A's and B's. But our industry is pretty unique because our industry is built with manufacturer's reps. So for those those people that don't understand a manufacturer's rep, they usually have 10, 11, 12, 60 lines. So when I would wake up at night when, on some of the other companies I turned around and I had a, a rep base that was out there, I knew I was only going to get a certain amount of time from those people. And so my vision coming into this was that I still want to use a rep network where it makes sense. But those 10 people that I've hired, or I call them regional managers, but they're really salespeople. And so I've started putting people in places where if I hired a rep and we had zero revenue going in, I was going to get zero revenue coming out. You know, they're not going to take a line like ours and really build it. So now I've hired these people and I've put them in place. And when they When they go to bed at night, they think about our product line and what we're going to do. And when they get up in the morning, they're selling our products. And so what I've also been able to do is to find those reps so that I take these people and I work with specific reps. So now it becomes a team partnership because a lot of those reps are the ones that they do have great relationships within the marketplaces. So they can take us into some places that would be difficult to go. But we'll take them into places where they're just not going to hit. So it's actually worked really well. We're up about 40% this year, but I've hired 10 people. So, But it's only been a year that we've been doing this, and that's kind of how we've done it. And Beth, you're right. I've hired people outside of the industry. They don't understand anything about our product. But what they are is they're really good people, and they have a very strong business acumen. And that's been one of the things that I think it really changed and really been a benefit for us. If I could pivot for a minute here, Hugh, you know, one thing you and I were talking about in prep for the podcast was 
your mentality on risk and failure. And if we think about like modern business culture, there's like, we talk about risk and we talk about failure, but like to actually invite it into your organization and be okay with it. Like that feels very scary. Like, honestly, like if I'm really real with you, like we had a company retreat a couple of weeks ago and my lead off talk was about this very thing was about the importance of feeling safe when you risk or when you fail, you know? And you were sharing with me some things about how you try to create that kind of culture and environment. I'd be curious to know if you wouldn't mind sharing that with our listeners. Yeah, I, I think that if you're not failing, that you're not pushing yourself to the point that where you really want to go. And that's the conversation I have with all the people that work for me. Some of these people are going to make more money. I mean, it took me forever to make my first hundred thousand dollars. Ever since then, things going well. But I mean, failure is what has taught me everything about my life. And, you know, it's starting in at the age of 10 when my ninth grade teacher, you know, wanted me to go to special needs class and and me saying, no, I'm not going to let somebody get in my way. So and believe me, there's been a lot of failure along the way. But what I really believe is that if you want to play it safe, then you're probably going to be playing a safe life. And at some point, you're probably going to fail. But I think you've just got to go for it. It's got to be a calculated risk. But if you're scared to fail, then gosh, I cannot even imagine living a life that way. So I just feel like a lot of businesses do play it safe. And maybe one of the reasons I work for turnaround small and medium-sized businesses is because it's usually a CEO that's there that built that business from almost nothing. I'm just fascinated with those type people that started businesses from nothing and just, you know, were passionate about taking it forward. Those same type people sometimes are the hardest people to work for and with because they're very narcissistic a lot of times, but because there's a certain way to do things. But if you put somebody like that together, or if whoever's listening has been wondering whether they wanted to take a risk on something, I'd say take a, a good hard look on where it is that you want to go and how it is you want to get there. A lot of times those risks are not as difficult as you think, but if you think it's going to be easy, it's not. And if you think you're not going to fail, you are. I mean, all business owners know that, you know, you, you trip up one way and you, and you figure out what that next step is. But I would think, Zach, that you've surrounded yourself with really great people in your organization. And that makes it a lot. If you have a lot of people working together, going in the right direction, failure is something that's really not failure. It's, it's okay. All right. I fell short. Let's figure it out. Let's do something just a little bit differently this time. And let's let's go at it this way. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think the worst failure you can ever have is not taking the risk. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think you're hitting on some really deep points. This isn't like we're talking about marketing and sales, but what you're really talking about is your identity as a person. And are you willing to, when you get hit or when you fall down, are you going to get up? Are you okay with that idea? You know, because that's what it's about. It's not about the failure. It's about the idea of what's going to happen because of the failure. You know, and do you have that resilience to get up when it doesn't feel good to get knocked down? Well, but I think it's also, Hugh, correct me if I'm wrong. 
it's the person, but then Hugh is also making space for that in his company. Like Zach, you do a great job of making space for that in Benvio. We talk a lot about risking and failure and that if we're not failing, we're not innovating and we're not moving forward. But for a lot of people, they work at organizations where they might have ideas, but it's the risk could be my job. Yeah. And Beth, that, you know, you're hitting right on something there. I do a lot of training, coaching, and I have coaches that, that kind of help me. And, you know, the worst thing to ever happen to anybody is to feel like you're stuck. And there's so many people that are stuck in those situations that feel like, you know, I've got a family to feed and I've got all these responsibilities. And, and guess what? You know, my I had all these goals and aspirations and everything I wanted to be as a kid. And somebody told me along the way that, okay, this is pretty much where you are. And whether it's you're in a company or whoever it may be, and they say, okay, you've hit that ceiling. And so this is pretty much it. And you look around and say, man, I cannot even imagine being that miserable in a job that you don't say, okay, I need to take a step out and do something else. I've been there in my life before. And I tell you, if there's anybody listening to this podcast today that feels like they're in that position, you know, breathe through your nose, take a step back and just ask yourself, where am I today? And where is it that I really want to go? Because I guarantee you, you can get there. And I hire those type people all the time. And I do want to say this. If you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. A lot of people do not have any idea where they want to go. They just know that they don't like where they are today. So when I give leadership seminars, and I just gave one, one of the uh, people that were there was 50 kids that were out of college or somewhere in that 28-year-old level. And a woman came to me and she said, you know, I don't know if the job that I'm in today is where I want to be. And I said, well, that takes a lot of thought to kind of figure that out. I said, but if you're looking to be a leader, you can start leading from where you are right now, right from that seat, from where you are. And if you just open the door for somebody on the way out, believe me, it all comes together. But anybody that's out there that's stuck, that has one of those type situations that they're in, take that step back. Think about where it is that you want to go. And remember this is that it's not about what we take. It's about who we serve. And so we all have that ability to serve people on a regular basis. And there's no better feeling than helping other people, you know, with their situation. So anyway, that's, you know, that's kind of me and the way I run my business. And the hardest thing out of all of it from a business standpoint is that trying to keep up with those standards with everybody that I work for is, I mean, it's something that I take very seriously. And so I'm always pushing myself to become better and put myself in a position to help them. So, I'd actually like to ask you a little more about that, Hugh, because what's interesting is you seek out people who feel stuck, where I think a lot of people avoid them. And I know what we were just talking about, like being that person who feel stuck is one of the most miserable places to be. But I also think being a leader and seeing that your team feels stuck, or I'm thinking about like the VP of sales that's looking at their burnt out sales team over and over again, just because of the tax that's put on them. 
What advice would you give to a leader who sees that their team or certain team members are unengaged, burnt out, feel stuck? How would you advise them? Well, and remember, one of the things that that I learned, and I'm a certified trainer for John Maxwell, is that and I uh, love him. Yeah, he's he's really great. He's taught me a lot. One of the things he always says that you can't help people that don't want to help themselves. And that's the hardest thing that we ever do. So if you find somebody that just doesn't want to help themselves, you're probably not going to want to invest a whole lot of time in that person. And the other thing that Jim Rohn is a you know thought leader that's not with us anymore, but he always says, you are the average of the five people that you associate with. So you want to continue to associate with people that are smarter than you, that can really kind of help you. But I don't think that's answering your questions. I, I think your your question is, how do you help them? And this has been one of my largest challenges that I've gone through in my entire life. And my wife, who is uh, just a Radford graduate also, but has always helped me with, you know, active listening. I think sometimes people get really frustrated and you know, it's easy to be a VP or whatever it is and come in and, and try to fix it for them when really all they want to do is just share the way they feel and kind of let it all out and know that you do care. So that's one of the things I've worked on is so that I can just listen and help whatever that frustration is that come out and then respond back to them in a way that they know that I really did hear them and then then put something together to go whatever those next steps are. So that to me is, is something that does not come natural for a lot of people, but it's something I've been working on to make sure I'm listening and not just trying to fix everybody's problems. So. Yeah. I was talking to somebody recently about leadership and they're like, what's your viewpoint on leadership, Zach? And I said, I think leadership is actually really, really simple. It's like actually like a very simple concept. Like if you want people to follow you, all you have to do, is help them understand that you care about them as much as they care about themselves. If you can do that, if you can let somebody know that you would fall on your sword for them, they'll follow you anywhere. If you've got their back, they'll go jump off a cliff and thank you for it. You know? And Zach, you're right. Your main comment right there is they've got to believe that you have their back. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's true. You, you got to have a reason to have their back. And if they've got to be that right person, and but my team has to know that I have their back. And if they don't think I don't have their back, then I'm really missing it on a daily basis. So it's funny, you know, in business, nobody really wants to talk about caring. I think that's what business Mm -hmm. is really about today is caring not only for the people that work for you, but the people you do business with and everybody else that you come in and you associate with. So that's one thing I do. I, I really do care. I think that was a great comment, Zach. Because people will follow you and there's not many of the Zach Williams around. And that's the great thing with me is it's so easy for me to go out and hire people because there's so many toxic people and there's so many toxic people in business that they're more concerned about just achieving whatever it is they want to achieve and not realizing that the only way you do that is to take care of your people and and make them a part of something bigger than, than yourself. So truth, man, Hugh, I feel like I could talk to you for hours about this. 
people say things like that. Like, I really mean it. Like, I'm like, oh shoot. Like we have to have an end to this episode or like no one will like, <laughs> <laughs> well, when no, I'm in Blacksburg we'll see next that. time, I'll give you guys a call and we'll, uh, we'll get together. And I'm thrilled that you have included me on this because it is something that's near and dear to my heart. And, and I love fellow Virginians, by the way. So, and Floridians that are, have moved to Virginia. Thanks. I'm a transplant. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Hugh, if, if somebody wants to get in contact with you or reach out, what's the best way for them to do that? I would say just give me a call or text me. Best thing to do, I have no problems in giving my phone number out. It's 804-441-4425. I would say that before you call me, you might want to text me and just let me know that you're going to give me a call because I get a lot of phone calls from numbers that I don't know, but I do try to answer the majority of my calls, you know, hhornsby at comcast.net is my private email. If you have any questions, you know, give me a call. We are looking for people in across the U.S. over in California and in some of those places. So I have no problems in having conversations with those type people. And then if I do speak, coach and train, if anybody would ever, you know, like me to come and do some leadership, you know, just give me a call and, and we can work something out. So honesty, integrity, ethics, that's everything. And Hugh, we're also going to link to that uh, for our listeners. Hugh also contributes on Fortune Magazine. And there's a couple articles that he passed my way. I'll make sure that we link to those in the show notes as well, because they're really, really impactful, good content. And I think especially for building products, getting your vantage point perspective has been awesome. So thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me and anything I can do ever do to help you guys let me know and we'll stay in touch. For sure. Awesome. Well, until next time, if you want more great content like this, go to venvio.com slash podcast. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popnikolov. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Smarter Building Materials Marketing with Zach Williams and Beth Popnikolov. To get the resources mentioned in this podcast, visit venvio.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.